Thank you for downloading this sermon from Trinity Presbyterian Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. For more information about Trinity, visit our website at www.trinityspartanburg.com. Let's stand. It is John chapter 20, and I will read just a few verses from what Austin read. Picking up at verse 11, but Mary was standing outside the tomb weeping. And so as she wept, she stooped and looked into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and one at the feet where the body of Jesus had been lying. And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. And when she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there and did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Hebrew, Ravoni which means teacher. And Jesus said to her, Stop clinging to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brethren and say to them, I ascend to my Father and your Father, and my God and your God. Mary Magdalene came, announcing to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. This is the word of the Lord. Be seated. This scene is probably one of the one of my favorites in uh, all of Scripture. I named one of my daughters Magdalene, so that proves it. Um, there are many different elements that that we could focus on this morning in this passage. Uh, Peter and John running to the tomb after it's reported to them that Jesus' body had been taken away. We could think about the linen wrappings. We could uh, think about the belief of the apostles in this statement, for as yet they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise again from the dead. And then also we could think about their subsequent departure to their homes. They learn of this glorious truth and go home. But as, as usual, I want to focus on Mary Magdalene and her relationship to Jesus Christ. You'll remember the following details about Mary Magdalene from various accounts of her in the Gospels. First, remember, remember that Mary Magdalene had been sorely afflicted. She had been um, demon-possessed before Jesus had cast out from her not just one demon, but seven. Mark 16, 9 refers to Mary as the one from whom Jesus cast out seven demons. In Luke chapter 8, the only section outside of the Passion narratives that um, mentions her, we read this. Soon afterwards, he began going, Jesus began going around from one city and village to another, proclaiming and preaching the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and sicknesses. Mary, who was called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out. 
and Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod Stewart, and Susanna, and many others who were contributing to their support out of their private means. So Jesus, uh, to say the very obvious and simple thing, Jesus had um, relieved great suffering for Mary Magdalene. He had changed her life radically in an instant. Think of all those times when demons are cast out and there's, there's freedom after that bondage to evil. From demon-possessed outcast to follower and patron of Jesus Christ and the Twelve Apostles. Um, there's some confusion about whether Mary Magdalene was a prostitute. And um, I believe she should be distinguished from the woman who anointed Jesus' oil and wiped um, his feet with her hair. It's, uh, it can be implied, but it's not explicit there, so we don't know if it's the same woman or not. Regardless, though, she was demon-possessed seven times over. Um, and she would have been known as something quite strange, right? Her out-of-control, perhaps sinful um, impetuous behavior would have been remarkable, um, even even if not um, involved in prostitution. When seven demons are cast out of one woman, there would be radical change. Seven demons afflicting her. Think of the reputation that she probably had. She was probably notorious for erratic, dangerous, strange, blasphemous, utterances, but strange behavior, and certainly these physical possessions are accompanied with corresponding sins. Remember the man who had many demons cast out of him and put into the pigs, right? It is said of him that this man had not put on any clothing for a long time and was not living in a house, but in the tombs, Right, so not exactly run-of-the-mill behavior. The demon possession made him live radically different than others. Mary Magdalene had had seven demons cast from her, so it would be safe to assume that she was radically changed by Jesus' healing, by Jesus' mercy in her life. And that is indeed the way that Jesus' mercy works in all people's lives. Changes come upon the man or woman. They may be young. They may be old. Those who truly come to know Jesus. And and conversion is a radical change. It's a radical change from death to life. It's a radical change from hard-heartedness to to soft-heartedness. From being under the reign and control of of a wicked master, sin, to being under the reign and control of the most glorious master any man could ever have, Jesus Christ himself. You go from the old man to the new man. You go from separated from Christ to united with Christ. You go from born of the flesh to born of the spirit, from darkness to light, from enemy of God to lover of God, from slave of sin to slave of Christ. I mean, all of that is contained in conversion and regeneration. 
It's radical. It is radical. Many of you would tell of how God radically changed you in a moment. In a moment, I, you know, like the, the conversion of Paul, like the casting out of the demons of Mary Magdalene, like the apostles who in a moment got up and followed this man they had just met and left their nets and left their, their boats behind. Like the multitudes who in the book of Acts heard the apostle Peter preaching and cried out, what must we do to be saved? Radical changes. So should this change, this tangible, perceivable, even radical change be absent from your Christian walk? Should there be um, no time period in your life in the church and walk with the Lord where you can say that in some sense the scales were removed from your eyes? Should there be no new birth? Should there be no heart in your head faith? Should there be no fear of God and trembling before him as you work out your salvation, should there be no works that accompany your faith? Well, then, then I fear for you. I fear for you that your conversion has not been wrought by the Holy Spirit and that he has not penetrated your heart, that wicked heart that you inherited from Adam. There are changes that come when the Holy Spirit comes to reside in his people. Mary Magdalene's great love for Jesus was born from the great mercy, the great love he had for her and showed to her in her healing, in her conversion. Though you may not need demons to be exercised, you may have a hard heart that must be changed. Uh, Can this be done when you are young? Certainly. With John the Baptist, it seems it was done while he was in the womb. But even his conversion led to something, led him to a work. It led him to do something. It led him to kick the innards of his mother. Right? When he was in the presence of Jesus, he's in the presence of Jesus' Savior, and he says, I'm going to praise my God, and he kicks his mom in the stomach. And so he demonstrated there the work of the Lord in his soul, even there. But should there be nothing you can point to, no triumph over a specific sin, no burning desire to worship Jesus, no zeal to know more and more about the amazing, omnipotent Heavenly Father, no love for your brothers and sisters in the church, no awe of God's holiness and desire for it. No demonstrated love like that of of Mary Magdalene who stood outside of Jesus' empty tomb and wept. Then you may not know Jesus at all. Or if you do know him, you know him as the demons know him. Should there only be lips that are willing to honor God, but a heart that is far from him, then you may still be in your sins. If this is the case, I urge you to call upon him. Call upon Jesus Christ. I urge you to put on hold every other duty, every other work, every other distraction that you might have, and instead call upon Jesus Christ. 
Call upon him to change your heart. Then you, like Mary Magdalene, will will know a new outlook. You'll know a new freedom, a new trust. You'll have a new way of walking in this world, a new hope. Now notice this too about this passage. Mary doesn't recognize Jesus. After conversing with the angels, verse 14 says, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there and did not know that it was Jesus. It may be that she's preoccupied, distracted, worried. Um, I mean, it would be stumbling to somebody, right? That the, the Lord they love's body is gone. That would be a shocking thing. I don't think that she's preoccupied or distracted only, though there are times, um, you know, I've been shocked in the same way by things around me. In this case, that could partially explain her ignorance, but really I think there's something different about Jesus. This is not the only time after Jesus' resurrection that someone didn't recognize him. So, too, the disciples on the road to Emmaus. They did not recognize him. Luke 24, 16 says, but their eyes were prevented from recognizing him. And so also at the end of the book of John, chapter 1, 21, we read that Simon, Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel, and James, and John got into a boat to fish. Jesus appears on the shore, and they are close enough that Peter can swim to the shore faster than they can get the boat there. hundred yards, we're told. But verse 4 says, But when the day was now breaking, Jesus stood on the beach, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. It was not until the miracle of the fish that Peter figured out who it was, and he exclaims, it is the Lord. So Jesus has changed, yet he is still man. But he's taken God Almighty's blows for our sin. His body has suffered and died, and now he is alive. He is the first fruits of those who are asleep, 1 Corinthians fifteen twenty. He's the firstborn from the dead so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. This is resurrected manhood. This is no longer the likeness of sinful flesh. Flesh that can decay and die. Right? This body is now glorified and perfected manhood. It has glorious strength, profound majesty, what once was vulnerable is now sanctified, beautified, or beatified, and, and resurrected. Did this make his appearance change? Perhaps. Seems so. Did they have eyes to recognize him? No, not at first. Um, as the passage about Jesus on the road to Emmaus stated, Mary, Mary can look straight at him. And not know it is him. Mary who knows him intimately. Who's there because of her hurt. And who longs to see him. Can look straight at him and not know it's him. So it appears as he, he's not recognizable. This is glorified Jesus. This is in a sense transfigured Jesus. And so when does Mary recognize Jesus? When does she recognized him when he calls her by name. 
And it's so sweet. Right? He calls, he just says her name, Mary. You know, and maybe the voice she recognized before she recognized him. He said it in a particular way that he had said it to her in the past. And first, Jesus addresses her generically. Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? And Mary Magdalene pleads with the man she's supposed to be the gardener. I think she's probably a little bit frustrated by this, this man asking her, why are you weeping? Um, and, and she pleads, tell me where you've taken my Savior's body. And then Jesus says, Mary, Mary. And she knows who has spoken. He speaks her name with the same inflection he did when they were together, and she knows who has spoken. Um, James Boyce writes on this, When Mary had supposed him to be only the gardener, she had no interest in him or anything he might say. But now she had heard her name from Jesus' lips. And as sheep know the voice of their shepherd, when he calls them by name, so she recognized him and responded joyfully. She responds by saying in Hebrew, My teacher, Rabboni, my teacher. Again, I mean, you think about Mary Magdalene. She could have said many things to Jesus at that point, right? My, the one who is who saved me from the demons, right? The one who is, who is um, she could have said my friend. She could have said my savior, but she says my teacher. Again, do you know, do you know Jesus in that way? Do you know him first as yours? She says my teacher, Rabboni. Do you know him in such a way that you are assured he knows your name? Jesus know your name? Do you know him as a friend, as a savior, as a teacher, as a father? Again, I fear, I fear for those who have heads filled with all kinds of facts about Jesus, even all kinds of history with Jesus, all kinds of history, right? But can walk away from him, cannot give him an ounce of thought when away from church or from when away from uh, Christian friends, is Jesus in your thoughts when you are all alone as Mary supposed she was at the tomb? Her thoughts were occupied with Jesus Christ. She's there at the tomb by herself. Mary Magdalene couldn't abide the thought of being without her Jesus. And so she goes to the grave when no one else goes to the grave. She will be with Jesus even if Jesus is is dead and buried. Do you have this sort of relationship with Jesus? Do you simply long to be with him where he is? Some of us long to conquer death. Right? Some of us long to conquer aches and pains and illnesses. Some of us long to live forever. Some of us long to, to overcome particular sins. But do you long do you simply long to be with Jesus? To be with him? The only way to overcome death in a happy manner 
is to long for the one who has overcome death. Right? Mary wants to be with her Lord and Savior. She misses a person, not a concept. She misses a person, not a concept, not a tradition, not a church building, not a, not a philosophy. Right? She misses a person, Jesus. She misses Jesus himself. And we see how much she misses him in her actions when she understood that the man in front of her was Jesus. She clings to him. She wraps her arms around Jesus. She clings to her Lord and Savior. And Jesus says to her, I think very gently, stop clinging to me. Not harshly. He's not being unkind. The words that follow are incredibly gracious. Incredibly filled with meaning. Right? He says, stop clinging to me. And then Jesus says, I ascend to my Father and your Father. And my God and your God. Now remember, it's, it's only been three days since they all abandoned him. It's been three days. They fled. They left Jesus to die, cursed death alone. And when the shepherd was hanging from the tree, the sheep were scattered. No doubt Peter is still grieving deeply from having denied Jesus. He's licking the wounds of his conscience after denying Jesus three times. And so Jesus here wants Mary to go and tell those deserters, he wants her to go tell those deniers and those cowards, those sinners, that they share a God and Father with the Almighty Resurrected Son. It's so, so assuring. It's so assuring. And, and we receive the same assurance from the Word of God. We've been adopted into God's family. Romans 8.15 For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, heirs also. And if and heirs of God and fellow heirs of Christ, if indeed we suffer with them so that we may also be glorified with him. Jesus' crucifixion and his selflessness on a cosmic scale. He has eternally fellowshiped with the glorious Father, submitted down to the dregs to his Father's will to save miserable creatures. He's taken on the flesh. He died on the tree as a curse. He has conquered death. And were we in Jesus' place, we would now feel as if we had earned a right to have a little father time. And here Jesus is with his disciples, giving them assurance. Remember John 17, he prays, I want to be back in the glory that I had with you before the foundation of the world. And yet, he even pauses it now after his resurrection to spend these days assuring his disciples. It's amazing love for mankind, isn't it?
but still utterly selfless Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, shares the Father. I ascend to my Father and your Father. Were we in Jesus' shoes, just to, to pound this home, Mary, Mary's clinging would be met with, stop clinging to me, give me some space, let me go be with my Father for just a moment. Have I not done enough? Not so with Jesus, the lover of our souls, my Father and your Father, my Father and your Father. Jesus and Mary have, and every adopted child of God have this in common, God as their Father. Calvin Calvin talks about the confidence we should take from these words of our Savior. I ascend, he says, to my Father, who is also your Father. In other passages, we learn that we are made partakers of all the blessings of Christ. But this is the foundation of the privilege, that he imparts to us the very fountain of blessings. It is unquestionably an invaluable blessing that believers can safely and firmly believe that he who is the God of Christ is their God. And he who is the Father of Christ is their Father. Nor have we any reason to fear that this confidence will be charged with rashness, since it is founded on Christ, or that it will be proud boasting since Christ himself has dictated it to us with his own mouth. In other words, Jesus has said it, You'd be sinning to doubt it. My God and your God, such gracious words to Mary. Where I go, you will go. What I have, you have. Where I am, you are. Part, I mean, my inheritance is your inheritance. And you are a son of the Almighty God. And so celebrate this resurrection day when we remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, do you have faith in Jesus Christ? Do you know him? You will too then one day rise from the dead to a resurrection of life. Celebrate the fact that he has gone to be with the Father as you will one day go to be with the Father. Celebrate the fact that Jesus forever dwells in the wonderful light of the Father who is love. Just as you will dwell forever in that eternal love as his son as well. Amen.